0: One day when I was working with a client, we were taking Kleenexes out of the box and we were having these Kleenexes symbolize every loss that this person had experienced. And when he would describe that loss, he would crumple up the Kleenex and throw it on the floor. And after an hour and a half of doing this, in the middle of my office was just a sea of Kleenex. And then it hit me that the sea that we need to cross is the sea of our own tears. It's the sea of our own sadness, or our own sorrow. And so many of us, we come up against that sea and we think, if I start getting into my sadness, I'm going to drown in my own sorrow, in my own tears. And what do we want to do when we face that sadness, when we face that trauma, when we face that woundedness that we know happened to us when we were small? Well, rather than face into it, we go back to Egypt, which is exactly what the people wanted to do at that point. You know, I would tell you that in my journey of healing, I have always seen that when I decide to take a leap off something and get into my feelings, you know, it's always God's timing, not my timing. He does find a way for me to get through that. But that's the next step of the journey, to be willing to cross the water.
1: Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. Today we have a special program in the category of legacy programs because it features our founder, Dr. Mark Laser. The following is taken from a speech that Mark gave a number of years in which he's talking about the change model. The change model originally was created by Virginia Satir. And Mark will give you some more information about that uh, in his speech. We want you, you to hang on throughout this presentation because there are musical interludes that are included. And uh, so when you hear the music, Mark will return after the songs. So uh, hang, hang in there with Mark to the very end here. Uh, we hope that you will enjoy this presentation of Dr. Mark Laser and the Change Model.
0: Tonight we'd like to present to you in words and music Uh, a story uh, of the Jewish people and how they change. How they went from Egypt to the Promised Land. This idea was originally an idea about change that one of our great teachers described and her name was Virginia Satir and many of you have heard us talk about Virginia in some very loving ways because she's been a very special person in our life even though we never had the chance to meet her. But uh, Virginia was one of the greatest family systems thinkers of the 20th century. And she, of course, in her work, studied how people change, how they go from one awful unhealthy place to hopefully a healthy place. To begin with, she said that people start out in this unhealthy place, and it's called the status quo. The status quo is uh, a way that we have developed over time to survive it's probably very dysfunctional things going on around us. Our status quo that we learned could include addiction or other dysfunctional behaviors. Chances are we began to learn how to do those when we were kids and we experienced for the first time some of the woundedness in our family. Because we developed some of these things so early, and the status quo was formed even perhaps by age four or five or six, this is something that we've used to survive and is something that we have a really hard time letting go of. Has any of you here had a hard time letting go of some kind of negative or dysfunctional or destructive uh, behavior. We know how hard that can be because it's a matter of coping, it's a matter of survival. The next stage she described was uh, getting new information and getting some kind of new awareness that we need to change. For some of us here, uh, that probably meant we read a book or we heard a sermon or I remember talking to a guy not so long ago who saw the movie The Passion of the Christ and he got an awareness, some new information that he needed to get honest about the sexual sins that he was doing. So he finally came forward to his pastor and that started the process of change. Some of you here may have had to have, like I did, other people come into your life and sit you down in a room and say, you know what, your your stuff is just crazy, you need to go to treatment. Uh, so, you know, we come to this new information in a variety of ways. It could be, as some of you know, uh, a wife reads a book and uh, annotates that book and hands it to her husband and he maybe finally gets the idea or something like that happens. Whatever the case, uh, you learn that you need to change your behavior because it's killing you. And then you come up across a barrier of some kind that says, I really need to do something different, and many of us have been to that barrier and we We see how difficult it is, and we don't want to cross that barrier, so we go back to where? The status quo. Well, if we do get across that barrier, we go into a rather crazy place. Without that coping survival behavior, what do we do? And it's very chaotic, and many of you know this because you've been in recovery for a long time. You know that that first year of recovery is not always that great, is it? I mean, there are things that are still happening that are not always that great. There could be consequences that are ongoing. You don't always feel that great just because you've decided to make a change. And that's in large part because you've given up ways that you've coped for years. And that's something that Virginia, again, called chaos. When you get through chaos, you come across another barrier, I think, which gets you into a better place. You're now starting to be really fully in recovery, but you've still got a lot of practicing of the new behaviors to do. And how many times have Deb and I talked to you about practice, practice the new rituals, the new behaviors, the new communication strategies? You need to continue to practice all of those things in order to cement them into your life. If you do that, then you begin to do the next stage we talked about, which is integrate them into your life in a more full-time basis. Finally, if you do that over a two- to three-year period of time, maybe you get to what Virginia said was the new status quo. The new behavior is so familiar to you now that it out balances the old behavior and is more a normal part of your life so that's what Virginia described as the process of change and she said when we go through change it it gives us a lot of anxiety and how many of you have had lots of anxiety about something that you need to change She said maybe the first time you go through a major change it's ninety five percent anxiety and five percent serenity. If you can manage that change though the next time you face some some huge change you need to make, It'll be maybe 90% anxiety and 10% serenity. And I think uh, Debbie and I, some of, some of the changes we're making, maybe you're at 50-50 at this point, 50% anxiety, 50% serenity, and that's just the way it goes. But I do know that every time you make a change and have the courage to do that, it gets easier the next time you need to make a change. Now, when I first heard this theory from Virginia, we were having it lectured to us, by our great teacher, who some of you know, Maureen, down in Omaha, and uh, I started thinking about, you know, this is exactly like the story of the Jewish people coming out of Egypt and going to the Promised Land. And so I just want to kind of talk that through with you tonight and then David is going to sing some songs that kind of reflect the various processes of change. The first uh, point along the way is we remember that the Jewish people got themselves down to Egypt. And why did they go down there in the first place? Well, because there was a famine in the land. It was something that was throughout the Middle East. And uh, because of Joseph and his legacy in Egypt that that had foreseen this famine, Egypt had stored grain. And so a lot of people were coming to Egypt in those days to find food. Well, we know the story about Joseph's brothers coming down there and how they had to humble themselves in front of their own brother who they'd sold into slavery. And I love this line from that part of the story where Joseph says to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Well, uh, in this story, the Jews migrate down to Egypt and they do survive. And remember again, status quo is about surviving. And now Egypt becomes the status quo. The problem with that, though, is that there does... A Pharaoh who doesn't remember Joseph and he sees that the Jews are multiplying and he decides that they need to be made into slaves so they don't get too out of control. And you know what? Isn't that what happens with our addiction? When we're three or four or five, some of the things we do are matters of survival and coping. But as we grow older and they become an ingrained and dysfunctional part of our life, they become things that enslave us. And that's what happened to the Jewish people. Well, we know at this point that something needs to happen, and uh, we'll talk about the next stage here in a minute, but at this point uh, there's a really great song that David wrote that uh, talks about this stage.
2: so empty, seems like we're so far apart. Even though some may applaud me, you alone can see my heart. You don't look at my achievements or my abilities. All you really want is all I Oh, it frightens me to give up my control there is only room for one king in the throne room of my soul and lord you took me out of me now take egypt out of me. you delivered me from pharaoh now set me Set me free from let my heart become a promised land where the desert used to be. Lord, you took me out of Egypt. Now take Egypt out of me. Oh. they shall see the lord but the eyes that only look to earth will lose the rich reward of the fellowship eternal the blissful unity of the ones who live in jesus and no longer serve king me took me out of Egypt, now take Egypt out of me. You delivered me from Pharaoh, now set me free from faith. Let my heart become a promised land, where the desert used to be. Lord, you took me out of Egypt, now take of you more perfectly, that's what those gifts are for. to be, my Lord, You took me out of Egypt. Thank You for taking me out of Egypt. Lord, You took me out of Egypt. Now You're taking me
0: Well we begin here in the story with the idea that uh, we need to get out of Egypt and as the uh, song that David sings says we need to also not only to get out of Egypt but we need to get Egypt out of us. So we begin to see that uh, part of the journey is going to be to learn how to trust God more. I want you to pay attention as we go along in this story as to how well the Jewish people did at doing that. The next part of the journey however is that uh, the Lord gives some new information. He appears to Moses uh, on the mountain and comes to him in a burning bush. And The new information is rather significant because God tells Moses for the first time his name. He said, my name is Yahweh. I am who I am. And I have some more information for you. I want you to go down to uh, Egypt and tell your former uh, brother, Pharaoh, uh, I want to Have you let all those Jewish people go? Moses, I I can just see him laughing. He said, Lord, I'm not going down there. That's crazy. Number one, I can't talk. Number two, I'm wanted for murder down there. I just ain't going down there. And of course, uh, we know the rest of that story. He does go down. He does confront Pharaoh. And it's not his strength. It's God's strength. God intervenes 10 times. And uh, finally, Pharaoh's heart softens enough to let them go. And so they start trekking uh, into this crazy second stage of the journey where They've got all this new information. They've got a new vision. They're going to the promised land, or so they think. And then, of course, they get to the banks of the first body of water they need to cross, which is the Red Sea. And they're standing there on the banks of the Red Sea, and they begin to hear the hoofbeats of the chariots of Pharaoh coming after them. And uh, I personally love that movie, The Ten Commandments, with Charlton Heston, because the, there's a scene there where they're gathered, and their, their faith is, is uh, failing them. And Edward G. Robinson, the old gangster from the 30s, comes up and says to Charlton Heston, Moses, he why did God bring us out here to allow us to die? And uh, you know the rest of the story. God parts these waters. Now, I've been wondering, what is the sea that we must cross? What is our Red Sea that would allow us to get to the next stage? And uh, maybe some of you have heard me tell the story before, but one day when I was working with a client we were taking Kleenexes out of the box, and we were having these Kleenexes symbolize every loss that this person had experienced. And when he would describe that loss, he would crumple up the Kleenex and throw it on the floor. And after an hour and a half of doing this, in the middle of my office was just a sea of Kleenex. And then it hit me that the sea that we need to cross is the sea of our own tears. It's the sea of our own sadness, our own sorrow. And so many of us, we come up against that sea, and we think, if I start getting into my sadness, I'm going to drown in my own sorrow, in my own tears. And what do we want to do when we face that sadness, when we face that trauma, when we face that woundedness that we know happened to us when we were small? Well, rather than face into it, we go back to Egypt, which is exactly what the people wanted to do at that point. But, of course, God intervenes, and he parts those waters, and You know, I would tell you that in my journey of healing, I have always seen that when I decide to take a leap off something and get into my feelings, you know, it's always God's timing, not my timing. He does find a way for me to get through that. But that's the next step of the journey, to be willing to cross the water. And David has written a wonderful song about doing that.
2: Sometimes I feel so afraid, other times like Jacob, oh, I wrestle with your horn while my foolish heart tries to have its own. That's why I put my trust in you and you remind me of this promise that won't fail. You say when you walk through the water, I will be with you and the river. Flame, you won't be burned or drowned. I'm the God who lifts you up, and I'll never let you down. my glory and the lifter of my head. When I'm facing fear and doubt from within or from without, You won't be burned all around No, no I'm the God who lifts you up I'll be your strength when you're weary I'm the God who lifts you up When the night gets long and you can't go on
0: Jewish people do get to the other side and they're still having a problem, strangely enough, trusting God. Because they're now in this desert, a place they've really never been before and they don't know what to do. And even though they've seen the hand of God ten times in Egypt against Pharaoh and now uh, another major way crossing the Red Sea, they still doubt whether or not they're going to be provided for. And so they grumble and they complain and they basically say to Moses and the leaders, we're hungry and we're thirsty. And this is one of the great parts that I love as a 12-step person myself. God says, I'm going to provide you manna from heaven. And that will be enough for you to eat. And what I want you to do is gather it one day at a time. If you gather a second day, that will rot. In other words, God was saying to the people, I think, even at that point, I want you to learn how to trust me for today. Don't worry about tomorrow, worry about today, and I'm going to take care of you today." He provides them with food, he provides them with water, but they're still out there in the desert and it's a pretty frightening place. They are not quite sure what to do and they're still longing for the vision. So it's at this point when we confront our own fear about, hey, I'm in a strange place and I don't know what to do next, That's, of course, when I think we need to remember that God will take care of us one day at a time. David sings a song about that.
2: is leading me to the desert of my days. Teaching me to trust Him, though I don't understand His ways. I'd like to stay at this oasis, but there's a journey to be made. Then I hear His voice and it calms my heart. And as I step out of the shade, He tells me Do not fear the desert, let the water flow through you. Though you're walking through the wilderness, there's a river running through. And on your face before me, my face comes into view. Do not fear the desert, let the water flow through you. master calling you to leave your comfort zone obey him though you're tempted to try to make it on your own cause his strength will flow through weakness his grace pours through the pain though it's just smoke right to the natural light in your heart it's pouring He's telling you Do not fear the desert Let the water flow through you Though you're walking through the wilderness There's a river running a river river. River. And on your face before me My face comes into you Do not fear the desert Let the water flow through you so Only Jesus can supply So let him pour himself through you And you'll never run by He's telling you, do not fear the desert Do not fear the desert, do not fear the desert, do not fear the desert, let the water flow.
0: though God's taking care of them every day, uh, the people still are having a hard time trusting God. Particularly when Moses uh, decides occasionally to go up on Mount Sinai to talk with God, uh, eventually to receive the Ten Commandments, they they grumble, they complain, they're wondering where he is, they're bugging other people for what they need to do next, and as we know from the story, one of the things they decide to do is uh, get kind of ticked off at God. He's not really there. They don't. They don't see him. They can't sense his presence visually. So what do they do? They build a idol that they can actually see and actually worship directly. Now, when we get into this part of the journey ourselves, when we're trying to change something and we've given up an old coping way that we have of surviving, I think many of us know that there might be a temptation to turn to another false idol ourselves. And how many of us here in this room have maybe turned to another addiction? We may have given up one, but we have about four or five others that we can turn to, and we uh, wind up doing that. So we quit one thing and we start eating, or we stop eating and we start gambling, or we stop gambling and we start working ourselves to death, or when all else fails, maybe we'll drink or use some other chemical. So well, the point is, if we continue to have a hard time trusting that God will provide, we may turn to our own solutions, our own remedies, our own idols. And uh, David has a song about what to really do, and that's to truly worship God even in the desert.
2: Beyond my strength, I say, I will worship in the wilderness until I hear your voice. I will worship in the wilderness as broken bones rejoice until the barren desert. My heart has made the choice to worship, worship in the wilderness. I will worship, worship in the wilderness. Where my dreams are dying, here where my self-relying is sand that flows away. Here, where the night is falling, until I can hear you calling, calling out my name beyond my strength. I say. in the wilderness Until I hear your voice I will worship in the wilderness Has broken bones rejoice Until the spirit and desert blooms My heart has made the choice To worship, worship in the wilderness I will worship, worship in the wilderness And now, in these times of testing
1: That was part one of Dr. Mark Laser's presentation on the change model. This will be a two-part presentation. So we hope that you will uh, return to hear Mark conclude his discussion about the change model. We hope that if you are hearing this message and are desiring to make a change in your life, if you struggle with unwanted sexual behaviors, we invite you to visit faithfulandtrue.com, where you'll find many free resources as well as information about our three day intensive workshops. If you're a man struggling with pornography or other sexual behavior issues, we invite you to take a good look at our website and consider attending the Men's Journey workshop, which we offer every month here at Faithful and True. If you're the spouse of a man that struggles with sexual addiction, we also have workshops for the spouses. That's called the Women's Journey Workshop. And then we also conduct one for the couples, and that's the Couples Journey Workshop. Check out faithfulandtrue.com for more information about these workshops and other resources for you. In the meantime, we hope that this coming week for you will be a week that's filled with many blessings and with great vision.